Good morning, y'all. We're starting a new message series today called If Only. What's If Only about? If Only is about relationships. Now, I don't know about you, uh, relationships matter to me, and they're important to me because so much of our life lives revolve around relationships. And we're not just talking about relationships in general, we're talking about romantic relationships for the next four weeks. And so some of you are like, great, how does that apply to me? I'm single. Well, I'm glad you are here today because we're talking about singleness today. Now, this is so important. Often when you go to a lot of churches, they have a relationship series, and it's pretty much just about marriage because it's pretty much just married people there. But I don't know if you've looked around at our church, but we got a lot of single people. We got some people who are dating, and we got some people who are married. So we're going to start off with single people today. Now, the single people are interesting, right? It's one of the only groups of people where everybody's trying to leave the group. <laughs> Almost everybody who's single is like, I don't want to be single. But for whatever reason, a lot of us find ourselves, whether because uh, we've, we've never been married before, or maybe you've been married before and you're single again, or maybe you're just like committed to singleness with your life. A lot of us find ourselves single. And you know what? That's actually okay. We're, we're going to jump into the Bible in a little bit and show you how that's not only okay, but actually a really good thing. But the problem is when a lot of us are single, we stay stuck in what I call pre-thrive mode. Right? We're like, hey, if I can just get into a relationship, that's when my life's really going to pick up. If I can just figure out a way to get married, like, man, that's, that's when I'm going to have arrived. If I can just land a single date, that's when I know that my life's going to get started. And we stay stuck in this pre-thrive mode because we keep waiting for the relationship. We keep waiting for something to happen to us. But here's what I want you to understand. When you stay stuck in this mentality of pre-thrive, even when you get married, even when you get in a relationship, that won't necessarily change your perspective. You can live in a full thrive mode right now, even if you're single, even if you're stuck in a tough marriage, even if you are here today and you just, you just hate where you are in your relationships, you can still thrive. You really can and I want us to do a couple things today. I want us to look at our expectations of singleness, but then look at the reality of what Scripture teaches us about relationships and about singleness. And I remember when I was, when I was in high school, I was probably ninth grade, I remember saying these words. I don't know if you ever remember the random parts about your life, the random things you say that you shouldn't remember. This is one of those random things. I said, eighth or ninth grade probably, I said, yeah, you know, I'm not in too much of a rush about relationships. I said, if I make it through college and I'm not married yet, I'll be okay. But if I graduate from seminary, I was going to go to the graduate school after college. If I graduate from seminary and I'm not married yet, that's when I'm going to be worried. <laughs> I graduated from seminary two years ago. And I'm not married. And I'm like, oh, what, what should I be doing right now? What would 8th grade Elijah do right now? What am I supposed to, like, turn on the warning lights, put on the siren, be like, I'm single, I'm single, help me out, somebody. Like, but we have these expectations of how life is going to work. By the time I hit this point, get to this stage, when I'm here, I'm going to be in a relationship, I'm going to be married. And then so many of us in our society find ourselves single, and we're like, wait, what's going on with my life? What's the problem with me? What's the problem with everybody else who doesn't see how good I am? What's, what's the problem? And we find ourselves frustrated, dissatisfied, in pre-thrive mode because we had an expectation, but our reality doesn't line up with that expectation. And I think we got we to understand this. A lot of us who are single 
are dissatisfied with being single. And the reason why is because we have the wrong perspective and often we're taking the wrong actions. So today, I want, I want to help us. If you're here today and you're single, and even if you're not single today, I want us to look at our lives and say we want to go from pre-thrive to living in a fully thriving life where we're living in the fullness of life. We are enjoying life and we are living in the blessing of God and we're walking forward and growing in relationships even if we're still single. And I want us to, to change our perspective and then some of us need to actually change our actions too. And I want to start off with the perspective thing. The Bible talks about singleness in 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul was one of the apostles is writing this. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. He says, singleness, because he was single, Paul was a single man. He says, singleness is a gift. He says, some people have been given the gift of singleness. And all the single people are like, excuse me, can we return that gift? Like, can we, can we take that back? Does the Lord do exchanges on the gifts he gives us? But he says, it's a gift. And so we got to start viewing your life, if you are a single person, like a gift. The word they're used in the Greek is charisma, like someone who's charismatic, they're a great person to be around, they've got like a gift. The word used in the Greek is charisma. It's the same word used of spiritual gifts. If the Lord gives you the gift of prophecy and you can just speak messages from God, if the Lord gives you a gift of healing, it's the same kind of gift as singleness. Whoa. What's your spiritual gift? Being alone at weddings. <laughs> Being by myself, that's my spiritual gift. I was at a wedding last night. My parents were there. I was good. And then my parents left and I didn't know anybody. And so I sat down on a couch by myself and I ate my chest pie, all these chocolate chips, and just by myself, just ate it. And I was fully confident and good, but I just sat there by myself and ate my pie. But I wasn't thinking in that moment, this is a gift from God. What a gift to be alone at this wedding. What a gift. Lord, you have blessed me with this spiritual gift. Everyone else is looking at me sitting by myself right now and thinking, that man is blessed. He's gifted. Right? Most of us don't see, but we got to change our perspective because Paul is very clear. Being a single person is a gift from God. And this is why we got to change our perspectives because most of us, most of the time, if you're single, don't feel that. This is what Paul says. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be in chapter 7, a few verses on. Because here's what I'm thinking right now as a single guy. How is it a gift for me to be single? So if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to pick it up in verse 32. Paul's talking in this chapter about marriage and how to understand marriage and how to follow God as a, as a person who's a Christian when it comes to marriage. But Paul is a single guy. And he knows he's writing to some people who are single. And here's what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. Now, if this sounds kind of negative towards marriage, it is a little bit. He doesn't say marriage is bad. In fact, throughout the Bible, we see this beautiful picture of marriage is a picture of who God is, right? It, it shows us that something about deeper about God, it's, it's an incredibly good thing. It's where God designed for children to be raised. It's an awesome thing. But Paul says, look, if you're, if you're married, you're going to have a lot more to be concerned about and think about than just serving the Lord. This is what he then says. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body 
and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Now, Paul's very clear. He says, look, I'm not telling you what you have to do here. He says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but so that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And so if you're married and you're reading this, you're hearing this, this is not Paul saying, hey, you shouldn't have gotten married. You made a mistake. What Paul's saying is wherever you find yourself, you need to have an undivided devotion to the Lord. But he's saying, especially to the single person, you got a gift. Because it's going to be a lot easier for you to serve the Lord with undivided attention than it is for that married person. It's going to be a lot easier. Because you know what? When you're married, now if, if you're single right now, you may not believe this, but when you're married, all your problems don't just magically go away. Actually, and I've had plenty of friends and known plenty of people who've gotten married, and it added lots of problems to their lives. You're like, oh, I'm married, I can sit back, this is great, and then it's like, whoa, a nuclear bomb just went off in your life. And suddenly you got to come to terms with whole new levels of how crappy you are and how crappy they are. And you just got to deal with this stuff. That's a good process. We're going to get to that a couple weeks from now. But it's hard. And your attention is harder to keep it on the Lord. And so when you're a single person, you have this gift from God. You know how Paul describes marriage? I love this. When you're single, it's a gift. When you're married, he says, it's a mystery. He's like, I don't know. You figure it out. Like it's, it's a mystery. He says it's a profound mystery. So being single is a gift. Being married is a profound mystery. Okay, so, so being single is a good thing. Now, it may not be where you stayed. In fact, I think most people here, and I'm pretty much gearing this message towards people who are here who are single, who do have a desire to be married, who anticipate that's something that's coming. But the truth is God does call some people to singleness for life. And you know what? That's okay. And it's not just okay, that's good. That's a beautiful thing. One reason I know it's a beautiful thing is because Jesus was a single man. And get this, Jesus is eternally single. Like, how would you like to be that dude? Like, he's not just in the friend zone, he's in the God zone. For eternity. Like, Jesus is just going to be single for the rest of his existence, which is eternity. Because, because, and we're going to get to this in a little while, but because he was serving God. And so I want, to, I want you to get two things. Why is it a gift from God to be single? Two things. Paul says, you're spared from concern. Like, there are just things that you don't have to be worried about when you are single, and so you're spared from that. Like, you dodged a bullet there, he's saying. You're single still. And again, I'm not knocking marriage, I'm not knocking relationships, but Paul just says, when you are single, you're, not, you're spared concern. And that's a good thing. The second thing he says is you, you can more easily have undivided devotion to the Lord. And I think the problem with a lot of people who are single is they don't take the time when they're single to take these two things seriously. If God still has you single right now for whatever reason, you have an, an incredible opportunity to pursue a relationship with God at a level you will never have the opportunity to pursue him at again. You got more time, more energy. You can serve him. You can go all in. You, you can go above and beyond and serve him in ways that you're going to get limited on once you're, once you're married. You can just do all this because you're single. So you're spared concern, and then you're more easily able to have undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, if you're like me, you're like, okay, I hear that. But that kind of stinks still, right? Can we be honest? All my single people here. It's like, okay, I get that it's a gift. I, I changed my perspective. God, thank you for this wonderful gift. 
this is great, but like, I'd love it if you took it back as soon as possible. Like, here, here it is, whenever you want to take it, God, I would love to not be single anymore. And I hear all this, I'm like, hey, being single, I get that is good from a spiritual standpoint, but I feel like, I still feel like I'm in this pre-thrive mode that it's going to be hard for me to transition out of. And I, I want us to, right now, look at the life of Jesus. Because even if we change our perspective, that being single is a gift, we still have to change our actions. Now, Jesus was the most incredible person who ever lived. Why? Because he was also God. He had that going for him. It's like, well, thanks, Jesus. Like, you're a person, but you're also God. Jesus was fully God and fully man, and he lived the most amazing life. He, he lived a life where he was fully able to give himself to other people. He was also able to receive from other people in an incredible way. He lived the perfectly balanced life. Does your life ever feel out of balance or like you're doing too much of this or not doing enough of that? Jesus lived a perfectly balanced life with the relationships he was living in like God designed for us to, with the relationship with the Father, the Heavenly Father that God designed us for. He was living this perfectly balanced life, this full, beautiful life. And you need to hear this. If you're here and you're single, God wants you to live a full and a beautiful life, even if you're just single for the next six weeks. It's like, whoop, here we go. Like, I only got six weeks left of being single. Live a full and beautiful life right now. If you have another 60 years ahead of you of being single, live a full and beautiful life. That's what God's designed you for. And so Jesus was a single man. Now, this was unusual. Jesus was a Jew, as you probably know, living in the first century in Israel. You know what you did when you were a Jewish man living in the first century in Israel? You got married. How, how old were you when you got married? Pretty young. Probably by the time you were 21 or 22, you were married. In fact, here's what a couple rabbis from back then said. This is rabbi number one, Rabbi Hizda. He says this. I love this. This is so cocky and I love it. He says, the reason I'm superior to my colleagues is that I was married at 16 years old. You're like, Wow. But then he goes on, he says this, and had I gotten married at age 14, I would have said to Satan, an arrow in your eye. I'm just going to start using that, an arrow in your eye. He's like, man, I got married at 16. If I got married at 14, I would have said to Satan, an arrow in your eye. If he would have known, he would have said, if I got married at 12, I would have said a nuclear bomb in your eye. If I got married at 10, I would have said a, a hydrogen bomb. Like, he just keep going, right? It's like, if I got married at 14. And then this is what somebody else said. I love this. This is Rabbi Huna. Rabbi Huna said, he who is 20 years of age and not married, all right, so that's most people here, 20 years of age, if you're single here, you're not married, he said, you're living in sin. If you hit 20 and you're not married, you're sinning. This is the era that Jesus grew up in. Now, Jesus, when he starts his ministry, is 30 years old, and he's still single, so according to Rabbi Huna, he's living in sin. According to Rabbi Hizda, he's not as good as Rabbi Hizda because Rabbi Hizda got married at 16. Jesus grew up in this era, but you know what? He was still single. He was, and I want us to look at three things about Jesus' life that made him able to be a single person who was also living a full life. So if we change our perspective and say singleness for us for however long is a gift, we got to change our actions to match Jesus' actions. Here's the first thing Jesus had that we need to wrap our minds around. And look, I'm, I'm preaching this to single people, but if you're here today and you're not single, this applies to you too, just as much to you. The first thing Jesus had is he had a clear 
purpose beyond himself. Jesus had a very clear purpose. If you look at Luke chapter 4, Jesus is teaching and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, to proclaim freedom, to help people, to, to give recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus knew exactly why he was living. Now, most of us, single or otherwise, don't really know why we're here. And for most of us who are single, the goal is pretty much be the best person you can to trick somebody into committing to you for life. Like, I got to look as good and be as good, keep my Instagram up nice enough, or if someone checks it out when they find me randomly, they're going to like it. Like, I got to do everything I can to, to be as nice and fake it as well as possible so that someone's going to marry me someday. And that's, that's like, that's our purpose. Now, we don't say it, and we may not think that, but that's for so many of us what we're trying to do. But Jesus was a single person who had this amazing purpose that was not about himself. It was about loving other people. You know something interesting about having a purpose that's not just trying to get married? When you do that, it gives you a confidence that you're living for something that matters. You know when you're living for something that matters, that's attractive. By focusing so much on marriage, you're actually shooting yourself in the foot. You're like, I just want to get married, I want to get married, I want to get married. You know what's unattractive to most people? Someone who just is so clingy and needy and can't be themselves until they have somebody else. Most people are like, I don't want to be that somebody else if you can't be you without me. Most people are looking for someone who's living a life that matters, a life that's good, who's doing it with confidence. And look, I'm not saying if you just start living your purpose, it's like two weeks and you're going to have that magical moment with someone. You, you may be single the rest of your life, but having a purpose is what Jesus had. And he had a purpose that helped him live beyond himself. He knew why he was living. When he knew why he was living, he knew how much he could sacrifice. Jesus knew he could sacrifice everything because he was living for an everything purpose. And when you're living for an everything purpose, God can do amazing things with that. The first thing Jesus had is a purpose that was worth living for. He knew exactly what it was. The second thing, and man, if, if there's one thing that I want single people to hear today, it's this right here. It's this. This could change your life. I'm serious. Change you from just hating your life as a single person to it being incredible. Jesus had close relationships with both men and women. Now, this, this is key. Jesus had relate, close relationships with both men and women. We, we see a couple different circles of relationships in the Bible. Jesus had three of his disciples he was super close to. We're going to call these the three bros, okay? These are the dudes that Jesus would take with him if he's going on a weekend trip. So I don't know if you got your weekend trip people, like who you'd grab if you're going on a weekend trip. Jesus had three, Peter, James, and John. Those were his dudes. He probably, if, if he could have, he would have shared memes with them. This would be like the three dudes he shared his memes with. He would have done this. Like, these were the three closest people to him. They were spiritually engaged. They got to see things and be around Jesus and be there for Jesus in a way that nobody else was. Now, I think in our own lives, Jesus never said, have the exact same number of friends as, of friends as I do. But I think Jesus modeled what the fullness of life was. You should have some people so close to you, so connected to you, you can share anything with them, and they're going to know you, and they're going to love you, and they're going to support you and help you. Here's something else Jesus had. He had the 12 people in his squad. Uh, he didn't call it a squad. That, that's not in the Bible, but it was a squad. It was 12 dudes. He went around, and they weren't as close as the three, but the three were part of the 12, and these were the dudes Jesus would have had a fantasy football league with. 
You know, these are the guys that like he was, he was close with and he shared life with and he taught them and they were spiritually engaged and they had a depth of relationship. And these 12 guys understood more about Jesus than anybody else around. Now, not all of them were totally good. Judas was one of the 12. Judas who betrayed Jesus, right? So it doesn't mean you're always going to have, you, you might get betrayed in your close group. But Jesus had a close group of people. And then beyond that, there's different numbers in the Bible, but the number I think is most helpful is there were 120 true followers of Jesus. And in that 120, you had a lot of ladies. Now, Jesus had, it was unusual for the time, because a Jewish man, especially a Jewish teacher like Jesus was, would not have had close relationships with ladies. Uh, You had to be very careful in that culture what was appropriate and what was not. But most Jewish men wouldn't even interact with ladies in public. Jesus did. And Jesus totally went against his culture. There was nothing inappropriate about his relationships. There was nothing inappropriately physical about his relationships with ladies. But he had these close relationships with ladies in his life. Now, here's why I think this is so important. A lot of times for single people, you, if, you have, if you have close friends, you only spend time around the same gender in close conversation and relationship. This is going, because we were designed as humans, men and women are very different, and I think most of your close relationships should be the same gender. But we were designed to be in relationship with people of the opposite gender too, even if you're not married. And for a lot of us, we have this desire, this need to be in relationship with other people, and, and we, don't, we never make relationships with people of the opposite gender, at least deep relationships. And because of that, we, we know there's a need, and so we think the only way to fill it is through a romantic relationship or marriage. That's not true. And here's something else you've got to understand about Jesus. He was physically intimate with the people close to him. Now, nothing sexual, but to us, to our minds, because we have a really messed up in our culture of perception of physical intimacy, we don't get it. So it says Jesus, at the Last Supper, he's there with his disciples, and John, one of his three closest friends, one of his three closest guys, was actually leaning on the chest of Jesus. Now, that's a little weird for us, like, I don't know how many dudes you spend time around. Dudes don't typically recline on each other's chests, okay? To us, that strikes us as weird, maybe even a little sexual. It's like, I'm uncomfortable. Let's go to the next verse. But for Jesus, this was normal because he was able to, get this, have a close, physically intimate relationship with his friends. I think a lot of single people really struggle at the point of physical intimacy because we're waiting for that one person we can kiss, make out with have sex with. We're waiting for that one person. When in reality, we were made for physical intimacy with people around us, men and women. If I could give you one piece of advice in terms of actions, make sure you're getting plenty of hugs. I'm serious. Like, this is small, but if you're a single person, make sure you're getting enough hugs. Like, if we got to, we'll start a hug club. One of our life groups will just be a hug club, and we'll just get together and give each other hugs. Like, you need that close physical connection, that physical intimacy. Find the same gendered person and just lean on them every once in a while. Jesus did it. It's normal. Just find someone to share a moment with. Because for so many of us, we're cut off. In fact, this is what they did a study recently. Cigna, big insurance group, did a study. And this is what they found. They found that for Gen Z, now, I don't know if you guys know about generations, millennials are actually getting pretty old now. Millennials are 23 to 37, okay? Gen Z is 22 down to about five right now. There's actually another generation beyond that, Generation Alpha coming along. But Generation Z is, in this study, they can only do 18 years and older, so it's 18 to 22. And they asked the question, would you say that no one knows me well? 
68% of Gen Z said, no one knows me well. Almost 7 out of 10 people. And a lot of you are probably like, yeah, if you're Gen Z, yeah, that's, that's probably true. 57% of millennials said, no one knows me well. What about the question, I feel isolated from other people? 60% of Gen Z said, I feel isolated from other people. 50%, half of millennials, half of all people, ages 23 to 37, said, I feel isolated from other people. What about this? I am no longer close to anyone. 54% of Gen Z said, I am no longer close to anyone. 45% of millennials said, I am no longer close to anyone. How are you going to be single when you're not close to anyone? When you're isolated, when no one knows me well? This is why our culture has an infatuation with romantic relationships. We have no other outlet for connection and intimacy and relationship and someone just saying, hey man, I care about you. Hey man, I'm here for you. We don't have that anymore. And so when you're single, you think the only way to get what I deeply need, which is relationship and connection, the only way to get that is to go on Tinder. The only way to get that is to, Facebook's got a new dating thing, right? It's to go on the Facebook's new dating thing, which sounds incredibly weird, because what, what happens when you run into your friends on Facebook? I don't know, but, like, you got to go somewhere. you got to fix this problem. The only way to fix it is romance. But Jesus' life shows us something totally different. He had these close relationships with both men and women. Now, here's the reality. If you are single and you feel alone, when you get married, you will still feel alone most of the time. You know what's worse than going, going to bed and feeling alone at night by yourself? Going to bed and feeling alone at night when you're laying next to somebody else. And for a lot of people who get married, they find themselves right there. It's like, man, it was great at first, but it's gotten hard. And, and when it gets hard in the relationship, you need other people you can turn to to support you and help you as a couple. And most people don't have that. I think this is one of the reasons why we see such a high incidence of divorce in our culture is not just because people have trouble with each other, but because they've got no one to support them when they have trouble with each other. So if you're a single person, you owe it to your future spouse, if you get married, to figure this out right now, to have a community around you. You know what? One thing that makes you attractive is not just being confident, but one thing that makes you really attractive is having lots of people around you who love you. Other people are like, hey, lots of people love them. Maybe I should too. Maybe I should too. Maybe I should, too, right? See, they're like, oh, this is a person that people love. This is a person who loves other people. People look at that, and they're like, oh, they care for their friends. I bet they'd really care for their boyfriend. Right? People notice this stuff. And so when you're in close relationships, it's so key. So the first thing Jesus had is Jesus had a, a very clear purpose. The second thing Jesus had was close relationships with both men and women, and he hugged them sometimes, too. The third thing is Jesus had a close relationship with his heavenly father. Now, a lot of single people, you think the relationship I need to complete me, to give me satisfaction in life, is that person who's just going to love me the rest of my days no matter what I do. That's wrong. That's not going to satisfy. That's not going to complete you. You know the idea of someone completing you is a pagan idea? You know where the idea of soulmates comes from? It comes from Greek mythology when they actually thought that your soulmate was you that got separated from you before you were born, and you have to find that person to make yourself complete again. Like, first of all, what are the chances of that? You got seven billion people in this world. Like, what if you got the match from Kim Jong-un, 
right? Like, what if you got, like, the match for a dictator or, like, a, a killer? Like, what if you got that match, and then you're married to them for the rest of your life? I feel like that's what a lot of married people think happens. But, like, what are the chances of you finding your soulmate, okay? That's not how it works. They're not going to complete you. Hopefully, they add joy, and there's something about it. I mean, you look at Adam and Eve in, in Scripture, and when they, when they come to each other, it's like there's something good that happens here. There's something beautiful that happens here. But that person's not going to give you the satisfaction you need. There's one relationship, one relationship that's going to ground you and give you a deep satisfaction, a deep sense of identity and purpose. And it's your relationship with your heavenly father. Jesus, Jesus was an introvert, I think. Jesus would have a lot of times he was spending time with people. All the introverts say amen, but you say it quietly because you're an introvert. All the, <laughs> Jesus would spend time with people, but then often he'd go off by himself. He'd have like thousands of people being like, Jesus, we want to make you king. All right, now people are saying that to me. I'm like, let's talk more about that. I'd love to hear your ideas. But Jesus would go off by himself to be alone with his father. Jesus knew that he was grounded, that his identity, that his source of life was his relationship with his father. The same is true for us. Unless you're somehow more divine than Jesus, you need your, that relationship with the heavenly father. You need to be close to him. You need to develop that more and more. Elizabeth Elliot, I don't know if you guys know the name, is actually famous. This is weird because her husband got killed. Uh, but she's, she's an incredible lady in her own right. Her husband was a missionary, and, and he, he got killed down in South America by some natives he was trying to minister to. He and four other guys got killed. The incredible thing about Elizabeth Elliot is after her husband got killed by these people, she actually went back in several years later to evangelize them. That's amazing. To this day, one of the church leaders down there is the guy who killed Jim Elliot, her husband. Elizabeth Elliot was an incredible woman. This is how incredible. She, uh, she, she's been married three times. Now, all of her husbands have died, and now she's died too. But like, her husband's kept dying, which is kind of weird. But she is such an incredible woman. Like, you know, Some of us struggle to find one person to marry us. She had people lining up. Three times she got someone to like, pursue her and marry her. That's incredible. She wrote a book. And, and if you haven't read it yet, especially if you're a young lady, I would say read it. It's called Passion and Purity. Incredible book. Now, it's written to young ladies. Dudes, we can benefit from it. But, like, the copy I got has, like, flowery writing on it. you got to put up with that stuff. And it's talking to ladies. But, like, it's a helpful book. And she writes about how her relationship with Jim. And pretty much how the relationship went is they both loved each other and wanted to get married. But both thought, Jim thought he had to go die on the mission field. And he didn't want to get married. Like, that's what he expected. And so eventually, this is a story. It's an incredible story, and she writes about it and teaches about it. But she tells this story one time. She said, I was sitting in my college dorm room with this girl who came in. She had just been on a date with a great guy. He was a good-looking guy, loved Jesus. She said he was a really neat guy, just, just phenomenal date. And the kind of date you come back from is like, that's awesome. And she comes back, but she says, man, he's not the kind of guy I'm looking for. I always thought God would bring a really handsome and really rich guy into my life. And that's not him. I'm like, man, I mean, I kind of wish God would bring a handsome and rich guy into my life, too, just to buy me stuff, you know? It's like, I want, I want that friend to be in my life. But she was like, man, I, he, I just thought it was going to be handsome and rich, and this guy's not. And doesn't God want me to be happy? And Elizabeth is writing this story, and she's like, I look back at her, and I'm like, well, what if God brings kind of a homely-looking, that's a nice way of saying it, homely-looking poor guy into your life and wants you to marry him? No, God, God wouldn't do that. He wants me to be happy. Well, doesn't he want, like, the, the ugly-looking guy to be happy, too? Like, what if, what if that guy's been praying for a beautiful wife, and you're the beautiful wife? 
Like, who are you to think that somehow you get to demand stuff from God? But she says, but doesn't God want me to be happy? And Elizabeth looks back and says, yes, he does, but he wants you to be happy on his terms. See, God knows what's going to make you happy. You think you know. you got a long list of things you think will make you happy. You just show it to God and say, Lord, do this, please. You know exactly. But the truth is, most of the things you think will make you happy won't. What Jesus wants for your life is for you to be, listen to this word, holy more than he wants you to be happy. What does it mean to be holy? It means you're fully, like, like we read in this passage from Paul, you have an undivided devotion for the Lord. You love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you come to that point where you're focusing on your heavenly father in that way, whatever he gives you, and he's going to give you good things, you're going to be happy with. You're going to be content with. You're going to be satisfied with. Do you realize this? Jesus became single for eternity. Jesus became a virgin for eternity for you. Because he knew that the only way he could come, live, and die in this world and do it with the purity and focus that it required was to be a single man, even when everyone else around him was doing something different. Jesus knew, and he did this because he wanted you to come into a relationship with your heavenly father and become a holy person, a person who's fully given over to God. And so right now, if you're single, God has given you a gift Jesus died so you could be given this gift, the opportunity to have an undivided devotion for God. Now, he wants you to find satisfaction and contentment in that. But Jesus died. He became eternally single and died for you so you could have a devotion, a love, a heart for God. And so many of us want to rush past this period of our lives, push it aside and say, I want to be done. Now, for married people and dating people here, a lot of you... Or whatever you're focused on, your relationship or something else, God wants you to know that's not as important as your undivided devotion to me. God would rather have you, if you are dating, single and fully devoted to him than dating this person. If you are married, God would, he wants you to stay married, but he would rather have you fully focused on him than anything else. But so many of us want happiness without the holiness God wants for us. What we don't realize is when we have that holiness, he will give us happiness. What do you got to do? You got to change your perspective. Your singleness is a gift. You got to change your actions. You have to have a purpose, a clear purpose of how you can serve the Lord. You have to have close relationships with both men and women. And finally, you have to have a close relationship with your heavenly father. Let's go to prayer right now. Jesus, help my brothers and sisters who are here, who are single right now. Lord, most of us who are single don't expect or don't want to stay here, but Lord, we are trusting you have put us here right now for a reason. That you have put us in this place of singleness right now because you have a purpose for us. You have relationships for us. You want to build us up. You want to give us undivided devotion to you. So Father, on behalf of this group of single people who are all trying to leave the group, I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for that gift. Now, right now, I know as we remain in prayer, there's, there's a lot of us who are really struggling. We're struggling to find contentment. You may be single, you may be married, you may be in, in a relationship. It may have nothing to do with the relationship, but you're just at a place where you don't have that groundedness, that satisfaction, that fulfillment that Jesus showed in his life. If you're right there right now, you don't have that satisfaction in life, you're not grounded 
in the way you need to be. Can you just slip up a hand? Because I want to pray for you right now. We got some hands up. Anybody else saying that's me? That's a lot of Anybody else saying that's me? That's me. Let me pray for you right now. Jesus, for my brothers and sisters who have raised their hands right now and said, I don't have the satisfaction, the depth of joy that I want. My life doesn't look like Jesus's in that I'm living the fullness of life. Father, help them. Father, right now, they've heard some good stuff about perspective and action, but Lord, help them in their individual case find the satisfaction you desire for them, that you're offering to them. Father, bless them and help them. Now, maybe you're here today, and you know Jesus died for you. Jesus gave his life so you could be made right. And the only way we can be made right is not just knowing Jesus died, but actually the Bible says turning away from our own way, from our own focus, from our own desires for happiness, and turning to God. And for a lot of us, we, we, we haven't done this. Like we haven't actually turned from our own desire for happiness and turned to God's desire for us. Is there anyone here who's just willing to slip up a hand, no one else is seeing you, and saying, I want to turn from my way and turn to God's way. I want to turn from my pursuit of happiness and turn to God's pursuit for me. Oh, we got some people raising their hands. Father, bless these people. Lord, give them a focus on you. Let them become holy people, people who are totally given over to you, fully devoted to you, and not just happy people. Father, make them holy so they can become happy.